Uh, we're going to be in uh, our final sermon in the book of Acts. We're going to be at the end of the book of Acts. Uh, uh, I did not make sermon handouts, so don't go over to grab one of those. But do get a Bible or a Bible app and turn with me to Acts chapter 28, verses 11 through 31. Acts 28, 11 through 31. Um, just to kind of explain how Acts leaves off. Um, we don't know exactly why Luke ends Acts with Paul still in prison. We don't know why. I mean, it seems as though Luke wrote the book of Acts uh, after whatever decision was made uh, in Rome as in regards to Paul when he went to go stand before Caesar or one of Caesar's delegates uh, to present his case. So we don't know why exactly Luke chose to just leave it with Paul sitting under house arrest, sitting imprisoned in Rome for two years, okay? Uh, however, we do think there's good historical proof that Paul did get out of imprisonment, went on uh, further journeys, and eventually several, several years later ended up back in Rome and under that second imprisonment in Rome lost his life, was beheaded uh, by Nero, right around the time Peter was also uh, put to death for his faith. And so why did Luke end with Paul still in prison? I think at the very least, we can safely say that Luke, who was inspired of the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words, that he at the very least wanted to emphasize the fact that despite imprisonment and persecution, despite injustices, Paul continued to communicate the gospel to anyone and everyone who would listen to it. I think that's one of the things that's meant to be emphasized in this passage we're going to get today. So in other words, the gospel cannot be stopped, will not be stopped, as the faithful, spirit-filled church takes that gospel message to the ends of the earth, all the way up to today, 20 centuries later. And I think that's one of the things that, that Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is emphasizing. All right, so that's kind of where we're at. That's kind of why we leave off like we do. Uh, I, I want to take it back for me to my freshman year at the University of Texas, all right? Who all in here went to UT? This is not like a rah-rah UT session for all you Aggies, okay? Uh, okay, we got a bunch of people. I like that. You don't just hold your hand up. You throw the horns up. Uh, so my freshman year at UT was Mac Brown's second official season as the head coach of UT football. And so some of y'all know this, but he brought something from his days with uh, North Carolina. He brought a slogan. You want to know what that was? Remember this? It started showing up yet. Of course you know it, John. Come early, be loud, stay late. Pause. Come early, be loud, stay late is, is one of the things that he encouraged us as fans. And by the time I got there in the second season, it was already on t-shirts and all this other stuff. So when we went to football games, he was always encouraging us to come early, be loud, and stay late. And one of the things you could tell about Coach Brown, part of what made him such a great coach and just a great figure at the University of Texas, was that he really did want all the fans to feel like we were a part of what was happening on the field. He didn't want us to feel detached from what was happening down down on the field. And I think this is a good analogy for the Christian life in a lot of ways. I think it's similar, uh, the Christian life is similar to college football in that we can either think of ourselves as spectators, mere spectators sitting somewhere watching what's happening on the field, or we can see ourselves as participants, which is exactly what Coach Brown wanted to accomplish through that slogan and through his encouragement to the student body and, and other fans. 
So, for instance, in the Christian life, when we read the book of Acts, we might feel disconnected from what's happening in the early church during the apostolic era. While people like Peter and Paul and and Stephen, the first martyr, and all these other, James, these other individuals, are doing these phenomenal things, we can look at it like we're reading a mere history book as mere readers detached from what's happening in the first century in the apostolic era. But the book of Acts was not written for mere readership. The book of Acts is not written as a mere historical account. The book of Acts was written to Christians who are also to play a role in the grand narrative of the church that began at Pentecost after the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ to the right hand of God the Father. He sent his Holy Spirit at Pentecost to indwell his church and empower his church for witness. And folks, for the last 20 centuries, that church, this church, us, we have been taking that gospel message to the ends of the earth. And that has been an unhindered process. Uh, And we will do so until the Lord returns, until he comes back for us. So the author of Hebrews reminds Christians, and we're shifting over to the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews. I don't know who wrote it, by the way. Um, But the, the, the author reminds us of this famous verse. He tells his readers, not other people, but the people reading this letter to the Hebrews, he says, and by extension to us, He says that we are actually the ones on the field. We're not up in the stands watching what's happening as if we don't have a part to play. We're, in fact, the people on the field surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, by our spiritual ancestors who have already run their race. And so this is what he says in 12.1. Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. So whether we're reading about the Acts of the Apostles or we're participating in Christian ministry in the 21st century, we're participants and we can identify with the ministry of Paul. We are participants. So as we close out Acts, today's big idea is that folks... If you've bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we are witnesses just like he was, so we can be just as purposeful and just as passionate as Paul was. So specifically, again, to go back to Mac Brown's slogan, we can come early, we can be loud, and we can stay late. And I'm going to tease that out in today's passage. So first, like Paul, we should come early. We should arrive early. In other words, let's not dawdle around and arrive late to the game. Now, in the college football context, people are having more fun at the tailgates or whatever else they're doing beforehand, eating at Gueros or wherever, than they, than they are at the game. And so to miss the crowds, they come a little bit late. They don't want to mess with all the, the whatever. They're having a good time. And so what do you end up with? You end up with stands that aren't full at the kickoff. And that's, that's demoralizing to the team and to everyone else, right? So they want you to get there early. That's what Mac Brown would say. So don't dawdle. Don't arrive late to the game. Don't waste precious time. And Paul modeled this all throughout the book of Acts. He felt led by the Lord to evangelize people that didn't know Jesus as their Savior and also to equip the saints in Rome. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to bear spiritual fruit in evangelizing and equipping the church there in Rome. And during his third missionary journey, which we looked at, he, he wrote a letter to the Roman Christians. The, the letter we know as Romans was written probably from Corinth while he was on that third missionary journey. He sends it because by then he had met people from Rome. He, he had some uh, commonalities, some common links relationally, uh, Priscilla and Aquila and others who had come from Rome. 
And so he writes to these Roman Christians who he had never met before to let them know that he was planning to visit them on his way to Spain. He wanted to get as far west as possible uh, in his missionary journeys, but even though he had wanted to and had planned to get to Rome, he had been prevented from doing so. So in Romans 1.13, he, he writes, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that often, often, I have planned to come to you and have been pre- prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, just as among the rest of the Gentiles. And then Luke makes this clear, abundantly clear. So Luke, in writing the book of Acts in 1921, he writes, Now after these things were finished, Paul resolved in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. We see his intentionality. He wants to get to Rome. And then Jesus even appears to Paul, again, to encourage the apostle, but also to to remind him of the promise that he was going to testify in Rome. And so in Acts 23, 11, it says, But on the following night, the Lord stood near him and said, Be courageous, Paul, for as you have testified to the truth about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome also. And folks, in the last couple weeks, this is why Paul knew without Uh, any doubt that he was going to make it through the storms, through the shipwreck, even through a venomous snake bite on Malta on his way to Rome. And in today's passage, he finally arrives in the capital of the Roman Empire, uh, the beginning of the ends of the earth with great expectations. So Paul expected to find two different groups of people there. This is why he was so eager to get there and to get there as early as possible. Paul expected first to meet Christians. Remember, he wrote a whole letter to them to help equip them in their faith, to strengthen them. Uh, And so look at uh, the beginning of our passage, 11 through 15. Remember, they're on Malta. They had wintered there, so they'd spent three months there. And then it says, after three months, and by the way, people back then didn't travel on the open seas safely from late October, November, all the way through like March. Really, the earliest you could get out and be safe on the open seas on the Mediterranean was February. So here we're looking at AD 60 in February of that year. And so at the earliest possible chance, they leave Malta to head to Rome. So it says, after three months, we set sail on another Alexandrian ship, which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. These are two Greek gods, sons of Zeus. It says, after we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium, And a day later, a south wind came up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters. He's talking about Christians. And we're invited to stay with them for seven days, and that is how we came to Rome. And from there, the brothers and sisters, when they heard about us, came as far as the market of Appius and the three inns to meet us. Christians coming out of the woodwork to meet Paul and his companions. And then it says, and when Paul saw them, these Christians coming to meet them on the way to Rome, he thanked God and took courage. So Paul knew that God had been at work in Rome long before he ever arrived. And guys, this is an application for us. Wherever God is calling you to go, whether that means an actual geographic move or a new job or whatever, a new neighbor moves in across the street, just know that as early as you got there, God was there earlier. 
that, that even though you hustled to get out and meet that person, God has been at work in their life way before you ever got there, way before you were ever born. He had plans for them before the creation of the earth, okay? And so Paul reiterates that by seeing the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in his absence. He had not done himself. And when he meets these believers, he, he not only is he thankful to God for God's uh, activity in his absence, uh, but he also is filled with courage and encouragement for the task ahead. And Paul also expected to meet non-Christians. I mean, that's what he's talking about when he says, I want to come out there and I want to share the gospel with people, right? I want to extend my gospel ministry to Rome. And specifically, he wanted to meet the Jewish leadership as soon as possible. There was a dozen different synagogues. There were two different uh, sections of Rome, the city, where uh, Jews uh, tended to live. And he wanted to meet the leaders of these communities. So look at verses 16 to 22. Now read it. It says, when we entered Rome, that's Luke again, he's with him. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Normally it was two soldiers. They had grown to trust Paul. They didn't have any reason to think Paul was going to ditch. And so they left one soldier with them in probably rented quarters that either Paul paid for or the church in Rome helped accommodate Paul with. And so he's allowed to stay there with a soldier who's guarding him. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews And when they came together, he began saying to them, listen to his language, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was handed over to the Romans as a prisoner from Jerusalem. And when they had examined me, that is the Romans, they were willing to release me because there were no grounds for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, that is the Jewish leadership that came before the governors, uh, when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. And again, he's a Roman citizen, so that was his right. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you since I am wearing this chain. He was probably literally chained to this guard for the sake of the hope of Israel. He wants to clarify this. And then verse 21, they, that is the Jewish leaders, these leading men in Rome, they said to him, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor has any of the brothers come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For regarding this sect, they saw it as a a sect within Judaism, the, 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 uh, the Nazarenes, they would call them, but the followers of Jesus. Uh, But for regarding this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. And certainly there had been some tumultuous times with the Christians, the the Jewish Christians and the non-Christian Jews in Rome. There had been riots and all sorts of problems that they had experienced firsthand. So Paul arrived to Rome as a Jewish prisoner taken into custody in Judea, in Jerusalem. And he had been arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman authorities by these enemies of his in the Jewish leadership there in Jerusalem, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin council. And he knew he's a smart guy and he's also led by the Holy Spirit. He knew he needed to quickly engage with the leaders of these Roman synagogues to explain himself and his situation before somebody else came and tried to explain his situation uh, in a negative light. 
And so within three days of getting there, he's already meeting with these leading men. And so he, he doesn't waste any time gathering them. And Luke describes these men as skeptical. They know that Paul is a Christian and they're skeptical of Christianity, but yet they're willing to hear Paul's explanation of the Christian faith, what his beliefs actually are. And we discover that Paul had arrived in Rome before the Roman Jews had received any negative reports about him from his enemies in Jerusalem. Now, part of that is certainly God's sovereign protection over Paul, okay? But it's a long way to get from Judea to Rome. And so he either beat the messengers from those folks Uh, or they didn't know if he was actually going to end up in Rome because he was imprisoned in Caesarea over there for like two years. So maybe they delayed sending news to the Roman synagogues. Either way, or he left so early from Malta that the other people were waiting till March or even April to set sail for Rome. Whatever the reason, he he gets there early and he anticipates that eventually bad news is going to come down the pipeline about him, and he wants to get at it first off. So first of all, we should strive to arrive early, come early, wherever the Lord is leading us. There's advantage to that, not wasting time. Second, like Paul, we should be loud. And I'm not talking about loud in the sense that we need to be obnoxious with our Christian faith. We do not need to be obnoxious. There are plenty of obnoxious people in this world. We don't need to be more of them, okay? But And some people might think just explaining your faith is obnoxious. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about loud, blustery, obnoxious Christians. We don't need to be that. We simply, however, cannot afford to be shy about our faith or to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be loud in the sense that we're not cowering and afraid of what people might think of us if we tell them what we believe about Jesus, if we try and lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul certainly was not shy nor ashamed of his faith. And he makes this clear again in the, in the letter to the Roman church. In Romans uh, 1.16, right off the bat, he says this to these very Christians he's meeting now, "...for I am not ashamed of the gospel." For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile, the non-Jew. So in order to be faithful witnesses, we have to do two things in regard to our speech. And this is what I mean by loud. I mean in the sense of confidence. We need to confidently speak in a truthful manner. We need to speak truthfully and we need to speak trustfully, trusting in the Lord. So in verse 23, Paul speaks truthfully. He's explaining and he's solemnly testifying, Luke tells us, and he's trying to persuade his fellow Jews who he loves, these brothers and sisters from the Jewish nation. He's trying to explain the hope of Israel attested to in the law and the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures to show them that the kingdom of God was at hand and that the king, Jesus, was now the anointed savior was now the, the, the chosen one, the king, and also the judge who was on his way back, who would be returning at some point to establish, uh, fully consummate the kingdom of God. And with that would come both salvation and judgment. He's trying to explain the gospel and Jesus and the kingdom of God to his fellow Jews. And it says this in verse 23, when they had set sail, or I'm sorry, when they had set a day for Paul, this is with the Jewish leadership, People came to him at his lodging in large numbers. I'm visualizing this as like a standing room only at his rented apartment. 
And Paul was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses, right there he's referring to the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, and from the prophets from morning until evening. So constantly trying to explain who Jesus is and and the news of the kingdom of God. And this takes us right back to the beginning of the book of Acts and the end of the Gospel of Luke and the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. This is an inclusio. It's like a bookend for Acts. This, this good news being preached about the kingdom of God and about the King Jesus. And then in verses 24 to 26, Paul speaks trustingly. What do I mean by that? Not that he's trusting in himself and his oratory, oratorical ability or whatever, right? He's trusting in God. He believed God's word. And back then, before they had the New Testament canon, that's the Hebrew scriptures. That's the law and the prophets. He believed God. He took God at his word in the writings of, for instance, Isaiah. And he trusted that by God's grace, other people in hearing the good news of the gospel would believe, even though a lot of people would not. And you have to trust in God when you're, when you're sharing the gospel message, knowing that the person you thought was most likely to trust in Jesus will reject him, and the person you never expected to trust in Jesus is going to fall down on his knees and accept Christ as Lord and Savior. All right? So, starting in verse 24, some were being persuaded by the things said by Paul, but others would not believe. We've seen this all throughout Acts. There's a mixed response, right? And when they disagreed with one another, they began leaving after Paul said one parting statement. Paul has no problem being straightforward, but he's, he says this with love, okay? Don't hear it any other way. The people that were rejecting his message about Jesus, he says, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers. Now, it's not our fathers. Now, it's your fathers saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing and will not understand, and you will keep on seeing and will not perceive. For the hearts of this people have become insensitive, and with their ears they hardly hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I, God says, would heal them. Therefore, Paul says, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. So so Paul continues his pattern of sharing the good news about Jesus with first his fellow Jews. Remember, you saw this over and over again. If there was a synagogue, if there was even a gathering of Jews praying, he would go to them first because they had the Hebrew scriptures and he could point to those and say, look, This is the fulfillment of those promises in Jesus. And so there's this pattern of first going to his fellow Jews, and then uh, when some had believed but many had rejected, then he would turn his focus to the Gentiles. However, and I think this is part of the point of this last passage in Luke, even as he would continue or or, uh, uh, move towards a focus on the Gentiles, he would continue sharing the truth with both Jew and Gentile. Guys, Paul's door was open to everybody. If, if, if somebody, whether Jewish or Gentile, came to him wanting to know more about the gospel, wanting to know more about Jesus Christ, he was open. He was, he was right there with them. So don't think that a bunch of Jewish people from Rome rejected and then he was just closed off to ever talking to his fellow Jews again about the Savior, about the Messiah. That's not it. 
But part of what we're supposed to see in this last section is that he was incorporating both Jew and Gentile. And of course, that's what we see happen in the Roman church. It was Jews and Gentiles. That's why we read what we read in the letter to the Roman church. Um, So like Paul, we should come early and we should be loud. Now third, and finally, we should stay late. In other words, guys, don't give up. Don't cut it short. Don't think, man, I just haven't seen fruit from this ministry. I just haven't really felt uh, God doing much over here. If you feel called to that, I would say place, I'm going to correct that and say to those people God has placed in your life, then keep persevering, keep enduring through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the encouragement of the church to continue to seek them for the Lord, okay? Uh, Don't give up. And we see Paul's perseverance in the closing verses of Acts in in, uh, verse 30 and 31. It says, Now Paul stayed two full years in his own rented lodging and welcomed all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things about the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. So Paul was not discouraged by his unjust imprisonment. Now, I know we we would get all bent out of shape about our rights being violated. His rights were being trampled upon, okay, for years now. Remember, he spent two years in Caesarea just because the governor there wanted to do a favor to his enemies, right? But you don't see him complaining, God, why? I thought I was supposed to do something special out there somewhere. He's like, no, 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 I'm right here under uh, uh, false accusations, being wrongly imprisoned. My rights are being trampled, but I'm going to make the most of it. Or better yet, I'm going to allow God to do with these circumstances what he would in his sovereign providential wisdom do through me as his instrument. And so he perseveres and he doesn't become discouraged. In fact, he makes the most of his house arrest by turning those rented quarters into a place for gospel ministry. The fact that they allowed him to have his own space and he had enough space to fit a whole bunch of people in there and he could invite people. And don't you feel sorry, sort of, for the guard who was like chained to Paul for two years, right? They probably switched him out a couple times. But no doubt he's sharing the gospel with that guy. That guy didn't get away without hearing about Jesus, okay? But he's also welcoming everybody else that God would, would bring to his doorstep. And that's pretty cool. And so he spends two years leading people to Christ, two years encouraging the Roman church, And probably in that two years, writing what we know are the so-called prison epistles to Philemon, to Colossians, the church at uh, Colossae, and then uh, Philippians and Ephesians that we just finished in our groups. So he's busy, 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 as they say in Frosty the Snowman, uh, doing all these things for the glory of God and the good of others. Okay? Yeah, I know. We just watched that last night. That was fresh on my mind. Well, it starts out messy, messy, and then it finishes busy, busy. Remember, he has to write a zillion times. I'm sorry. Yeah, now it's coming back to you. I've been watching that every year for like 41 years, so I got you beat. Um, So Paul's prepared to stay in Rome as long as the Lord wanted him to stay there, and he makes the most of his time trusting in God. And Luke ends the book of Acts with a portrait that is a portrait of Paul, a faithful gospel witness who is persevering despite opposition and persecution and difficulties. And in fact, the final word in the Greek book, the Acts of the Apostles, that Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, leaves us with as the final word on this issue is the word unhindered. There is an emphatic focus on the word unhindered. 
And that's how Luke leaves us at the end of the, the Acts of the Apostles. And I want you to think about that word, unhindered, because it emphasizes the fact that nothing, not a thing, not a person, not a power, uh, not an institution, not a government, not a Roman army, nothing can prevent God's people from accomplishing what God has sovereignly directed them to do in his power according to his will. As long as the Lord wants us to, we will be unhindered in accomplishing his plans and purposes. And of course, that's the story of Acts, right? So, I think some of the UT fans in the room, I saw you mouthing it when I was talking about Mac Brown's slogan that you probably thought in your head, it's incomplete. He couldn't figure out a way to fit in the fourth phrase, right? What is it? It's wear orange, right? It's come early, be loud, stay late, and wear orange, and particularly burnt orange, right? Uh, That's the full slogan, and that call to wear burnt orange it makes sense, right? Because if Mac Brown's trying to get the, the audience, the, the fans, the people in the stands watching what's happening on the field, if he wants to create a sense of unity and a sense of solidarity amongst us, both as players and as, as, as people in the, in the stands, well, we can all wear the same color. That's the point. And you look out, and if you've ever been to a UT game, it's just burnt orange and white everywhere except for that little sliver of the the uh, visiting team section, right? Or their band or whatever. And so everybody's wearing orange, but it's meant to show solidarity with the players on the field. It's meant to say, I'm part of what they're doing down there. And that gives you a great sense of school pride and, and just, you know, it keeps you from being a fair weather fan, I guess you would say. And I think, I see Aggies whispering things. I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to call you out on that. Um, but I think it's fitting to close with a news story that broke back in the spring of 2015. I read this in a Christianity Today article. Uh, this is tough stuff, so I want to figure out a way to, to address it uh, with you kiddos in the room. Um, Christianity Today, um, back in 2015, I think the article came out in April, it reported on the um, horrific, brutal murders of 21 Coptic Christians Uh, that had been captured by the Islamic State in Libya. And and I did not watch the video that ISIS released on that. Um, I saw images from the beginning of that video. And not even watching their martyrdom, uh, even just the the visual images are haunting. Um, These people dressed in black leading these, these men, these 21 men, dressed in bright orange jumpsuits out to this location on a beach to kill them uh, on video to let the world know what they're all about. And, um, and in response, there was a Christian named uh, Leonard Sweet who posted, I don't think he painted this, but he posted right around that same time. That was in February of 2015. So he posts on his Facebook page this, this picture depicting Christ wearing this similar orange color to symbolize that he shared in the suffering of his persecuted people. Do we have that? Did we get that from the slides? Okay, I'm just going to have to send it out to you later, but um, it is a, a painting, and it's right out of the news headlines where it shows these um, men in orange jumpsuits being led from behind uh, by these guys that are just, they look like something from the Lord of the Rings, like the Black Riders. They're just completely in black. You can't see their faces. 
and they're leading him out to this place where we know they're going to die, right? And this painter, whoever it was, I, I would give him credit if I knew, they painted Jesus Christ in front of that line of people being led out to be killed with his cross on his shoulder, bowed down under the burden of it, and he wasn't wearing a jumpsuit, but his robes were the same color as their jumpsuits. And, and he was leading them. You think that it's the ISIS guys leading these Christians out to where they're going. But I love how the painter shows that it's Jesus who's leading out in suffering and persecution for the glory of God and for the good of others. And that these men are called to follow behind him, to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. And it puts a whole different spin on that haunting image of those men being led out there to their deaths as Christians. And I love that. And there was a campaign that was launched right around that time to encourage Christians to wear orange, to show our solidarity with our persecuted brothers and sisters all around the world, who, by the way, that stuff that we saw in 2015 is happening today all over the place in this world. There are people being persecuted for their Christian faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, all the way back to Paul, who himself was beheaded outside of Rome. Um, but there's these, these uh, campaigns that were launched to, to wear orange on certain Sundays to show your solidarity with these persecuted brothers and sisters. And, and finally, the painting of Jesus in orange, followed by Christians in orange jumpsuits, reminds us of this, that a faithful Christian life comes with consequences, and it will require sacrifices. Even our life itself, maybe even our freedom, but potentially even our life itself. And so Paul knew this, and Luke writes so that we too can live not as spectators, but as faithful witnesses who come early and don't waste time getting to where the Lord wants us to go. We're not so busy tailgating that we don't get in until halftime to see what's going on and be a part of it. Who are loud and not shy about our faith or ashamed of the gospel, even in the face of persecution. Who stay late, as late as the Lord wills, without giving up with trust by trusting in Him. And who wear orange as a symbol of our own willingness to suffer for the sake of Christ. Or to simply show our solidarity with those brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted, persecuted around the world today. I'm not saying you literally have to wear orange. I'm saying that in our hearts and minds, we see them and we recognize our solidarity with Christ and his sufferings and persecution. He, the very first thing he said to Paul when he was Saul, persecuting Christians, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then we see our solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Christ that are suffering and even giving up their lives. The Lord did not call us to be spectators. He called us to be his witnesses. And in all these ways, we can join in the ongoing work of the church, which began 20 centuries ago with people like Paul, and which continues today, even, even today, even this Sunday in, in December in Greater Austin with us in Wayside. Um, would you bow your heads with me so we can pray?